Hey, Preacher Main 2024, hope all is well. This is your host, Jamal Brown. And, you know, we just finished the holidays about a couple weeks ago to this point. And you know how at the end of the year, a lot of people do a lot of reflecting and look back on the year, whether that's music artists I see all around social media. They look at, you know, all the countries and streams they got. And then other others have a big, you know, uh, video about things that they have accomplished and stuff th- throughout the year and all that stuff. For me, just over the past several months, I've looked at my faith and the finished works of Jesus and how I see certain things differently than I did, say, like two to three years ago or so from church, practical life and personal convictions. Being 41 with a wife of 10 years and four kids, it can train you not only in this life, but also in the word of God. And at this point, I feel I'm more accepting, accepting of others when it comes to the decisions they make for themselves. Like I may be disappointed or frustrated with their decision, depending on who it is, but I try hard not to create a narrative in my head when it comes to their salvation or lack thereof. It used to be if I heard a professed Christian cuss, I would wonder what side of the line they were on. Because how could you cuss like a sailor and still have the love of Jesus in your heart, right? Like, hear me thoroughly on this because I'm not saying it's cool to frequently use profanity as a believer. I'm saying for me, it's not a deal breaker as I may have made it in the past. For example, Person A is a follower of Jesus and he uses strong language on occasions, you know, but he's trustworthy. He's loyal. He takes care of his family. He reads devotionals or whatnot. I say Uh, person B, let's say he's also a follower of Jesus and he doesn't use strong language. But person B is also a habitual liar. He goes through all the loopholes not to pay child support and is a thief. You know, he frequently steals items out the grocery store at the self-checkout and has never been caught. Like, which one of those examples would you say is closer to living a life above reproach? Keeping in mind that walking by faith doesn't mean perfection or flawless. A lot of times people disqualify you for things. When you think about it, it shouldn't be as big of a deal. And I'd rather be around a cussing Christian that has other qualities I can trust and wouldn't mind having around my family than somebody who has the appearance of being righteous, but it's really twice as crooked when nobody is watching. If cussing is the worst and one of the worst traits a person has, then I think we should be able to work with that and live with that as long as they're not trying to get behind a pulpit or minister at someone's church. And not only that, there is some mental and emotional relief from using cuss words in tense circumstances that would shock a lot of religious people. But I don't want to spend too much time indulging or getting on that because y'all going to think I'm trying to promote it. I just believe we should look more at the character and integrity of a person rather than get self-righteous about wordplay, especially if it isn't notorious. Truth be told, holiness is really phoniness for a lot of people. Well, for quite Quite a few people, I say, I don't want to say majority, but just quite a few people, because they'll do and say the right things in front of certain people. But as soon as they're not around anymore, that's when the real fruit shows. 
That's when the real them comes out. Manipulation is the new currency to win big in today's culture. I would rather see the full person as much as possible, even the ugly things I don't agree with. So at least everything is out in the open and down the road. If we need to have a conversation for whatever reason, then we can do that. I've been working with a guy for years and dude uses profanity a lot, like a lot, a lot. But he's loyal. He's honest and caring. You know, he won't say anything behind your back that he wouldn't say to your face. It's easy to judge off his mouth, but it takes time to see the fruit needed to learn his character and see his integrity. Now, if I had a choice to be around a believer that that cuss and one that doesn't, I mean, truth be told, I'm a I'm a choose the one that doesn't all day just because I don't you know, I'd, I'd rather not. If I had the choice to be around somebody that can't use other words and they just have to cuss every other word like. But my point is. People shouldn't be unverified solely off them using words we're not comfortable with. Actions, behavior, character should mean more than words, in my opinion. And when it comes to cussing Christians, I think it comes down to conviction and context. Everyone doesn't have the same convictions and context should be on how you use those words like that should be what matters. And I'll I'll just leave that at that. I'll just leave it right there. Now, the next thing, another thing I see differently is the framework I once had about going to church, whether that's on a Sunday or Wednesday, but just the the whole dynamic around church, right? Going to church, which I know this can be a big thing for a lot of Christians, but let, let me explain what I mean. My family and I, we still make it an expectation to attend church weekly, but It no longer is for me a requirement to get my spiritual food, especially with technology, YouTube, podcasts and the word itself. Going to church on Sunday seems more like for lack of better analogy, it seems more like sprinkles on top of the ice cream nowadays. Like you don't have to have sprinkles or marshmallow cream on top of your dessert, but it enhances your eating experience that much more. Meaning it's good. It's. It's good for it's good to go to church, y'all. I hope I'm I'm trying to make my point clear here. It's good to go to church and really primarily for two reasons. The most important reason it is to 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 go to church is the Bible says so. It says gathering with other believers is necessary. Hebrews 10, 25. And it benefits us as a corporate body of Christ to worship together, fellowship and encourage each other. The second reason is it sets up a foundation for my kids to get used to going to a place at least once a week to learn about and acknowledge God. Basically, Proverbs 22, 6, direct your children onto the right path. And when they're older, they will not leave it. I know growing up in my era, it was almost a necessity to go to church two to three times a week, mainly because we had no other outlets to get into a spiritual posture to acknowledge God outside of a church building, or at least that was the narrative most of us were taught to believe. And in 2020, when the pandemic slash pandemic began, we were put into a position where we had to condition ourselves to do our normal, quote unquote, church things without the building we were so used to going to. Churches started streaming more often and we got comfortable watching from home. I know I did. And after a while, I wanted to go back to a community of believers as soon as possible because 
I really missed the corporate connection, but it also made me get used to doing my own spiritual exercises without the functionality and assistance of a traditional church service, something that historically we've, especially even my parents era, like we were never, we've never been forced to do that, you know, before. And again, I'm not saying going to church is a burden or doesn't have any benefits. I'm just saying the original mindset of, okay, let's go to church. Let me get the word in. Da, 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 da. Like that whole mindset has, has now shifted to where church is, is there and it's, it's, it's good and necessary to go. But what's most important is the relationship and things that I do all during the week or whenever I choose to do so that keeps me, um, that sustains me spiritually. And now this last thing I really want to touch on has become a pet peeve of mine. And it's a process that I'm still sifting through to this day. And it's something, the longer I think about it, the more it feels like a deconstruction, something I need to tear down, distance myself from the fear and false narratives I held on to, and then start to rebuild it again, piece by piece. And that has been my approach to tithes and offering. I've had nearly 30 years, maybe more of that, of believing God required 10% of my money. And if I didn't, I was a thief. And then the requirement turned into I get to give. Then it went from I get to give turned into following the example Abraham set before the law. After a lot of prayer, reading and rereading and talking to certain um, people that I uh, admire and the word of God and the word itself um, and, and the inspiration from pastors like Fred Price Jr. and Pastor Creflo Dollar, I've come to the conclusion that many of us, including myself, have been manipulated and just plain been taught wrong when it comes to tithing and how we should approach giving. The Bible is the true infallible word of God and it is the greatest story ever told. With that, it also needs to be broken down into context, the audience, and if certain passages have present time verbatim relevance, or are those passages meant for us to observe a principle or the fear of God? When I look in the word and I see, I see where seed time and harvest is a perpetual process. As long as there is an earth and people that will continue. So us giving period, you can never dispute that giving is not something that a believer in Jesus Christ should do. But the problem comes when we try to regulate old covenant law and turn it into a new covenant obligation and not only an obligation, but pretty much a duty a Christian has to do or else. Now, I do believe a follower of Jesus, as I said, should be should give regularly and that it should be based on Second Corinthians nine, six through nine and not Malachi 3, 8 through 10 or Matthew 23, 23. And I want to note this. I always thought it was a little off for a pastor to encourage people of the church to have enough faith to give a tithe, no matter the circumstance. And I'm thinking on the flip side, how does a pastor believe by faith himself? How does a pastor believe by faith for money for himself and the church when he is constantly depending on people and a set amount of money coming in from the tithe, not only depending on them, but also using false narratives, fear tactics to manipulate people to give more. 
I remember growing up, a pastor taught from Leviticus 27, starting with verse 30. And basically he interpreted the passage and y'all go back and re- just read the passage yourself. But I'll just kind of give a kind of cliff notes of it. Um, but the, this pastor, he interpreted the passage that if somehow you miss giving your tithe one week or whatever, then the next time you give it, it needs to be 20 percent according to that passage. And if you research the passage, this is classic old covenant law where animal sacrifices were given grain, produce and food were the people's tithe. But somehow that mindset, that principle crept into a new covenant mindset. And looking back at it, it was things like that and plenty more that made giving for me feel more demanding than free will. And although sometimes it still was would be presented as a choice or something you don't have to do, the foundation was already set. So when that foundation was already set, you can weave things in and out of somewhere. But, you know, the bottom line is that if you chose not to do it, according to them, you wouldn't be on God's good side or you would a curse, you know, could be upon you, depending on uh, who was teaching on that. And this is where I think it gets deeper because the truth I know now about tithes and offering and giving has always been there. It's always been in the word, you know, but I just didn't have a revelation of it. But when your belief system is tampered with to think another way or to think something crosswise of what the actual truth is, it doesn't matter what the actual it doesn't matter what the actual truth is, because you've now created your own reality through those false narratives and fear tactics and manipulation. Proverbs 23, 7 says in the Amplified, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And in brackets, it says in behavior, one who manipulates, meaning you can be so ingrained in something or a lifestyle that even if it is a lie and a big lie, you and you really believe in it, your reality will be shaped by that lie until you're open enough to receive new information. Open enough to receive the truth. I just finished looking at the Prophet T.B. Joshua documentary a few days ago where this world renowned minister from Nigeria had people fooled for decades. He was manipulating thousands of people in his camp to carry out his own personal agenda. Those victims during that time were always living in a lie, but they were so invested in every word he was saying in the ultimate quote unquote mission of the ministry that nobody could convince them they were being abused and taken advantage of because they wholeheartedly believed in the false narratives and the fear tactics and the miracles they were fabricating. You know, they believed all those things. And when you've been under anything false for a long period of time, you would want to separate yourself from the trauma of it. You you pretty much need a season where you get away from it completely so you can properly assess what happened and move forward. Of course, there is much more to say. And the point of this whole pod and this episode wasn't to get into a whole lot of details. I think this would be a good episode to maybe return back with a guest or something like that to where we can kind of feed off each other. They can ask me questions I can you know delve into and vice versa. Um, but this is generally where I'm at now when it comes to tithes and offering. Um, my wife and I still give regularly to our local church, but the mindset and free will behind it is something that feels so much more genuine and refreshing. Like there is no percentage we try to hit. 
It's just about doing what we want to do and being adamant about giving outside of a church ministry and others we feel God has led us to. No longer feeling self-righteous claiming I'm a tither, but getting back to the essence of giving, having a pure motive and not allowing anyone to apply pressure when it comes to money. And to give a little insight on my updated thought process on giving, since my dad passed in the summer of 2020, my mom has been a widow. And the Bible talks multiple times about widows and how God cares for their well-being and the role their family should play in supporting them. I've been more intentional giving to my mom, whether she says she needs it or not, not only some financially, but with my time, pretty much getting back to the basics, doing what I know is right. Not getting caught up in any of the nuances of church politics and funding and just living this thing out one day at a time. If I can do it, great. If not, I'm not going to think twice about it. I'm going to shut it down there. I think I gave uh, just enough uh, to to chew on. Uh, Thank you all for listening. I'm not going to make any promises on the timing of any future episodes. Just know my intent is to be more active in 2024 with the Preacher Man. Keep in mind, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And until next time, salute.